Hello, everybody. Welcome to the House Divided pod. Sorry to have missed a week, but, you know, life happens. And speaking of life happening, uh, I would like to issue a congratulations to Jeremy, who announced on Twitter last night that him and his wife are expecting. So congrats, Jeremy. Thank you, sir. Yeah, we're uh, pretty excited about it. I uh, looks like uh, April is going to be uh, when I start losing sleep. So just in time. Uh, hopefully coming off of a good basketball season and rolling right into uh, the AHL playoffs. So yeah, it'll make uh, the, 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 even better. Yeah. Yeah. So the, uh, the climb to uh, the climb to the 2038 draft starts. So we uh, got to get them on the ice soon. Yeah. It's crazy. You know, if Michigan state wins a national title in basketball, very realistic, baby Danton will uh, never have lived in a world where they're not champions. <laughs> That's true. I'm just That's assuming. We'll, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, we will have to hide the uh, pros and four for a little bit, but we'll uh, <laughs> we'll enjoy <laughs> the basketball winnings there. So, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that was much more fun than the rest of this show is going to be for me. Um, <laughs> uh, just to let you folks at home listening know the format, we're gonna go with uh, to, with a Paul Bunyan sandwich is what I'll call it. So we're gonna start with the Michigan State-Arizona State game that we missed uh, last week. Then we'll roll into Michigan-Wisconsin and kind of a state of the program since that's what everybody's discussing on Twitter this week for Michigan. And then we'll end it with some Michigan State-Northwestern talk and some quick previews for the games this weekend. Uh, so, Jeremy, which loss to Herm Edwards hurt more? Oh, my God. I think uh... – if we go by, man, I think frustration was probably this year. But then again, I have the hindsight of looking at last year and seeing what I will never get over the fact of from last. It's actually two ref things that annoyed me in both games, um, even though MSU probably played to lose both games. But you look at last year, uh, the the fact that apparently there's no follow if you break a punter's leg when there was a whistle before you did it mm-hmm. um, probably bugged me until we played them again this year. And then I was just annoyed by Pac-12 refs being Pac-12 refs, which they then went down and bit old Miss last weekend. So, um, yeah, I don't know. This year was just – it was one of those where I was in the stadium and I never really thought they were going to lose uh, really up until – I think the fourth down, the scramble, and then it just felt like, okay, here we go. Um, and and to even get into field goal range at that point, I didn't believe we were going to do. So, yeah, this this year probably hurt more. Uh, yeah. But I think that I think that I actually came out of the game much more positive about this team's chances than I did after last year's loss at Arizona State. Yeah, I mean, two very different games last year. I mean, not contributing to, like, the actual game played. But as a fan, last year you can at least kind of have that hope. Like, oh, well, they were playing in 110-degree weather at 1030 at night in in Arizona. It was a weird game, uh, I'm sure. And I know you're in a different headspace now after getting to watch Michigan State just dominate Northwestern. But – um. I, I'm, I imagine there was a pretty defeated feeling coming out of Spartan Stadium, uh, especially yeah. with the uh, Sparty no of it all. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think the thing that 
you know, I, especially as I <laughs> age myself and get a little bit older as a sports fan, I, I start to dread more and more just the reaction to losses. Like a win is just fun because I don't have to hear everyone complain. Um, and it's yeah. a more I want to not lose than to win sometimes. And that was the thing. It was just like walking out of the stadium. I think that was probably my first time where it just really sunk in. Like, yeah, this is probably the last year or two of D'Antonio. So instead of, you know, grinding out and getting angry over every little thing, I'm just going to try and enjoy the happy times. But it was tough. That was a really rough game to to lose. And to go 0-2 against Herm Edwards was annoying. And, uh, you know, it – the only thing that gave me a little bit of hope was it wasn't a conference game, which was nice. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was hard to really come out of that uh, too positive. It's just, you come off the Western win and you think, okay, maybe the offense is going to do something. And then what was the stat? I think for the third time in four games, they put up one touchdown or something. It was just brutal. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it was a definitely a, I'm sure. If it wasn't a somber tone walking out, then it was loud in the wrong direction, I'm sure. But, uh, I, I mean, we've obviously seen more football since then, so the takeaways are going to be a little bit more muted. But uh, the 400 yards of offense, I think, with only one offensive – with only one touchdown to show for it was brutal. Um, the defense yep. was outstanding, minus about one drive. And that just it sucks for them, obviously. And then, uh, yeah, the special teams, which there's no real reason to dive into other than just being funny. But because uh, they looked better, obviously, on Saturday, this Saturday. But yeah, an incredibly yeah. frustrating afternoon. And we'll get to play this game of whose loss was more sucky. <laughs> when we get to my when we get to Michigan, Wisconsin. It's the age-old debate, would you rather lose with some screwy ref things in a close game that's super frustrating or just getting your doors blown off? But, uh, yeah, it, it was um, – yeah. from a Michigan fan's perspective, like, it was one of, it was one of the, like, the ultimate, like, rival meme losses. Like, it – Oh, totally. Yeah. It, it, everything, it, right? It was insane. <laughs> it had everything to it. The, not only the fact that – penalty ruined a field goal that would have sent it to overtime but it happened twice yep. <laughs> yeah yeah no absolutely it, it there's that and there's yeah you know very smart you know the 12 man and then the coaching you know the biggest issue that i think i probably spent the entire walk back to the car after the game uh discussing was i and i even tweeted it because then of course on sunday Matt Nagy pulled the same maneuver. And I really just hate the whole calling back-to-back timeouts on defense. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't think it does anything. Uh, I never played football. So, you know, hit us in the DMs if you want to correct me on the strategic part of making a team change or second-guess their play call. But I just don't see the benefit, I guess, especially when you have a defense like MSU that you trust, right? You, you say you trust this defense, let them go make a play uh, instead of calling back to that timeouts and then giving your offense zero timeouts if Arizona State scores, which obviously would have been nice to have when you're running 
uh, crazy out there with the field goal decisions. So mm-hmm. I think that was my number one thing coming out of the game. It honestly was, especially again, like I said, I, now I, it's hard for me to want to yell at 18 to 22 year old kids, the older that I get. Uh, but I can definitely yell at the multi-million dollar coaches who make mistakes that you and I wouldn't make playing Madden. So yeah, exactly. uh, that was probably the most infuriating part is you're just sitting there like, you know, we know he's a defensive coach. We know the offense isn't going to ever be great, but to lose on just poor mismanagement to Herm Edwards, really, <laughs> that really was just my hardest part. I was like, we just did this to Herm Edwards. And and that was like just what stuck in my craw all night. And yeah. really just, I got over it about Friday after. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. And obviously like credit to Herm Edwards for going out and beating Michigan State any slanting, I didn't think yeah. he had it in him to get, get two well, in a row. But, uh, and to be honest, that's the why I thought that last year's loss hurt more because at the time when we lost to Herman, it was last year. It was just the first time I ever believed that he could maybe be decent at this. Yeah. Now, after he's gone to a bowl game and he's, and for the most part, I think, pretty competent there, uh, it doesn't quite feel as bad. As yeah. it did last year, losing to him. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, yeah, the whole thing was just ridiculous. I mean, he did literally just play. Uh, both coaches played not to lose the entire game, and somebody 100%. had to. Uh, credit to the true freshman quarterback for Arizona State. Um, let me pull up his name real quick because he deserves it. Uh, Give me more than a first in it, Jaden Daniels, because uh, you know, as as Michigan fans as well have seen over the past ten, fifteen years, uh, despite our recent success, it is not easy to go into Spartan Stadium uh, and walk out with a victory. So, for a true freshman quarterback to go and make that big play late, it's pretty impressive. Uh, I don't know how he's yeah. done since, but. You know, good good for that kid, and that's some really important experience to get under your belt early in a college career. Yeah, maybe he is the best Jay Daniels in the Pac-12. I think he's, <laughs> you know, maybe JT better watch out. I think, uh, no, it was it was impressive. I think you, what impressed me the most was he had nothing going all day, so it's really easy, I think, as a freshman um, in a pretty loud stadium. I mean, it was pretty loud for a three thirty or a four o'clock kick. I, the place was full. It was definitely a good atmosphere uh, for him to survive three plus quarters of really not getting anything done that he's probably used to. Uh, and then put that drive together at the end with him making, you know, pretty much every big play on the drive. Yeah. Uh, that was, you know, that was definitely a credit to him. And I think they, uh, they definitely have a, a chance at a bright future with him. If, uh, if he just continues to develop. Yeah, for sure. I'm just looking at these stat lines for this game, and it is just unbelievable how it ended up playing out. Looking, Jaden Daniels went 15 for 26 with 140 yards. Um, That is coming out to a whopping 5.4 yards per attempt. We call that the Trubisky. Yeah. Eno Benjamin, 11 carries for 38 yards and the game-winning touchdown. And then you look over on the other side, Lewerke actually had a really good day, 291 yards on 38 throws. Collins ran for 72 yards and a touchdown. 
Stewart had 121 yards on nine receptions. Man, that red zone offense that day was just insanity. Yeah, there was that, and just there just were some weird decisions. Like, you know, they they're I think it was in the early third quarter. They get a drive. They're about to like the Arizona State forty. Fourth and one, you have a chance to go for it, and they hand it to Connor Hayward again, who doesn't pick up the first down again. Um, and you're just kind of sitting there thinking, like, what does Collins have to do <laughs> to be the guy? I know when you look at Hayward's body type, you think that's a fourth down back. I want to, you know, throw him in. But the problem is he doesn't have the vision that Collins does to get that one yard. So uh, it was uh, it was from the top down probably a pretty frustrating day. But, like you said, there was some silver linings you could try and find with the yardage. Um, but they, of course, trolled me because I did say if we got to 400, I'd feel good. I didn't feel good after we got to 400, so. (laughs) Yeah, you also, uh, yeah, I mean, that whole game was just super ugly, and um, Arizona State plus 16 was the best bet I made that weekend because it just felt easy at the time, and it was. Uh, (laughs) I got, and then I, you know, and I think I just know Michigan State. I took them to cover against Northwestern, and I got that pretty easily, too. I would say. You didn't get you didn't get the wrong one where everyone got beat on the under there. So I, know. I think you well, uh, pulled out pretty well. That's a funny thing. I was gonna take the under when it opened at thirty nine, but then it cracked down to it went all the way down to thirty four by game time, and I was like, I can't do that. Like, <laughs> no, no, that's just you're really just doing it for the you're doing it for the content at that point. At, oh, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, I so, think that's all we got. So to go from a game where. I was just saying, to go from a full game depression to basically a depression in the first half, mm-hmm. take me through the emotions of Saturday. Because I, I was out of the state, so I DVR'd the Michigan game, so I just saw it Monday. Yeah. Um, what was that like going through? I mean... So, I, I, yeah, we're going to go in depth on this because there were lots of feelings. <laughs> Um, the first drive, obviously, so it all, I was in a negative pit of expectations from the kickoff because Michigan chose to defer their choice to the second half. And I went into the game literally saying, take the ball because you do not want to go down on the road, seven zero to Wisconsin. That is how bad things start. And obviously I'm not saying if Michigan takes the ball and scores on the opening drive, they win because they wouldn't have. But I was already having negative feelings. Paul Chris did the old uh, Kirk Ferentz where uh, usually he's super conservative, but then he decides to play Michigan and remembers that you can still run the ball on fourth down and uh, don't have to play super conservative. So on the first drive, I knew that was happening because they went for it on fourth and one inside their own 50. Uh Michigan couldn't stop the run, and when they went, got in the end zone, I just turned to my girlfriend, Megan, and said, Michigan's going to get blown out today. And I was only half serious at the time. <laughs> but uh, So, so I'm assuming right. when, when the obvious, uh, at least was obvious to me, when the obvious Ronnie Bell catch was overturned, that was about the point. <laughs> you knew it, was, it, just, it wasn't going up from there because uh, that kills your – that kills your drive, you know, I would trying say, to. Yeah. So, I, uh, Ben Mason fumbling was 
the next negative. Oh, that's right. That happened first, didn't it? Okay. Yeah. 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 Ronnie Bell actually had like a 67-yard catch on the first play from scrimmage for Michigan. That's right. That's what, um, that, that's what the Bell play was. It was later that he got robbed yeah, it of was a later that diving that, catch. It was, uh, it was still 7-0, actually, when that happened. So that's – a couple weeks ago we talked about the, the game-defining – a couple play stretch or a couple minute stretch against Army was that penalty followed by an interception followed by a Michigan touchdown. Well, it was only 7-0 when Michigan got the ball back. Um, the back-breaking stretch was the insane call to overturn that Ronnie Bell catch. The missed opportunity on third down, he just threw – it was an intended throw to Cornelius Johnson, just completely went to nobody. I'm assuming there was a wrong route or something. And then you punt it, and on the first play of the drive, Jonathan Taylor takes it 72 yards to the house. And at that point, sure, it's only 14-0, and the little optimistic part of my brain is like, well, if Paul Chris turtles, you could turn this around. But most of it was like, ah, man, that's it. <laughs> that is that's yeah. the nail in the coffin already in the first quarter. Um, so, so let me ask you on the frustration scale. What since you asked me the two years, what's more frustrating coming out of Saturday? Was it the fact that the offense still looks like way too much of a work in progress uh, at this point, or is it more frustrating that Wisconsin comes out in that weird nine offensive linemen set? and is still able to score on a QB sneak where no one covers the A-gap. Uh, and you would think Don Brown at this point has to have something drawn up to adjust that, right? I mean, yeah. which was probably more frustrating for you guys to go to on Saturday. So the more frustrating point was the offense. Um, it's so It was so choppy still. You know, they had no rhythm. It, it really feels like – I mean, I can tell it's Josh Gaddis's first time around calling plays. And so can everybody else watching the football because it, they just can't establish a rhythm. It doesn't help that they carried about one healthy running back, and they can say all they want about Charbonnet, Charbonnet being healthy. Uh, he had 33 carries against Army, and he had two carries against Wisconsin. You could tell every time he was in the game it was for pass protection only. Uh so, I mean, that hurts, but you still, you got to adjust better than they did. You have, you have Ronnie Bell, Tariq Black, Donovan Peoples-Jones, and uh, Nico Collins. You have Nick Eubanks. You have Sean McCune. You have to be able to adjust for only having one healthy running back that can actually run the football. And they didn't until they were down 35-0 to zero and then started airing it out with uh, some mild success. Uh, so that was more frustrating. Now, going back, what is more worrying on the season? I'm going to go with the defense and Don Brown not having anything, not being prepared. I mean, that's what it is. They weren't prepared. Uh, I really feel that the offense, they you have the weapons. I feel like there's the potential for Gaddis to figure it out and salvage something out of it. But, I mean, what the hell, Don Brown? Like, I know you have an undermanned D-line, but, like, the, the whole thing with the QB sneak that you're talking about is just absolutely inexcusable, especially for a defensive coordinator of his pedigree who carried 
top three national offenses at Boston College. I I really don't get yeah, it. Yeah, that, that was my thing coming out of the game when it, you know, some of the talking points. And again, I get it. You as a fan base, you want to try and find some positivities, right? So, so I get that. But you know, the the big talking point that I saw from you know trying to kind of back Don Brown a little bit was the lack of talent. And, they, and that's what I kept coming back to is like, this has to be better talent than what he had at Boston College. So, yeah, you know, it's just something where either they're not listening and getting the calls right on the field. Uh, like, you know, they're really missing Chase Winovich out there to maybe direct things or, you know, have uh, Herb Bush out there to really be your leader. Uh, or it's something where Don Brown just is not making adjustments quick enough, which is hard to believe because I think, you know, outside of Ohio State, I think the guy's been damn near perfect at Michigan. So yeah, uh, I mean, it's really hard to think that with the Wisconsin offense would be something he can't adjust to. Um, yeah. You know, that was shocking to me. Yeah, and I mean, outside of the 2016 season, actually even including that one, because I think there, there has been one game every year since Don Brown arrived where the defense just looks – uncapable of doing anything right uh in 2016 it was the over it was a triple overtime game against indiana actually never mind that was 2015 so no um 2016 which was probably the most talented michigan defense that i've ever seen and even if they didn't have the raw talent like devin bush playing um they were at least the deepest they had an eight-man rotation on the d-line and all of them were just insanely good. Uh, so, But outside of that one, I'll get myself back on track. In 2017, you had the Penn State game, and they blew them up. In 2018, you had the Ohio State game. Just more than blew them up. And now you have this, where in the first quarter they're, they have 28 points. I'm hoping that the trend of one a year continues, and we just got this one out of the way early but it is really, really concerning that he hasn't been able to adjust for having a small defensive line. I don't know how the freshman defensive tackles, Mazzy Smith and Chris Hinton, haven't gotten a run there because, like, sure, they might be bad, but probably not. It, it's not going to get much worse, you know? So Yeah, yeah, and I think coming – and the other thing is you're coming off of a bye week. You have two weeks. That was and this was the result. Yeah, uh, two weeks, two weeks to prepare, and you have kids like Josh Metellus, and um, I don't remember who else had a quote similar, saying they walked in and felt unprepared. That is that is absurd, and I know Harbaugh hasn't had a tra- great track record coming out of the bye week. Um, the inf- infamous monsoon game where Michigan State beat Michigan fourteen to ten. Um, that was coming off of a Michigan bye week too. Uh, hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a little bit alarming. Um, what else about the game was there? It was maddening to see them in the fourth quarter airing it out with success and hitting up Nico Collins finally. Because, uh, like, why didn't you start with that? Um, yeah, yeah. And and I came out of the game again, like I said, checking back in Monday after, which is kind of an interesting way to watch it because you know what this final is. Mm-hmm. You see Michigan Twitter react for two days, 
Um, so I kind of got to relive that almost expecting some things, but just kind of wanted to keep an eye on some things. And I came out of it thinking, is Ronnie Bell the best wide receiver you guys have? Because he was looking awesome, um, even when you guys weren't airing it out. And then, yeah, it's just you see all the talent at wide receiver, and I just don't get – even though Charbonnet has been effective in his two games leading into this and he's injured for this one, I don't know how or why you're not just airing it out more. You, yeah. You know, it, it, is it just not trusting Shea Patterson? Like, I don't know what the deal is, but that's way too much talent at wide receiver uh, to be – down 35 nothing that's yeah no it is uh inexcusable it it, it is absolutely inexcusable and you know uh, really uh wisconsin made the episode pretty easy there's not a lot to talk about all of the pivotal moments happened in the first 15 minutes and then it just kept on pouring on um so i guess that pushes us to uh the state of the program because you know uh, people have always been calling people have been calling for Jim Harbaugh's head since 2017 and I have found it completely absurd every time up until four o'clock on Saturday and I'm not even saying that I am calling for Jim Harbaugh's head but I get it now like I at first in the past I thought people were just kind of being babies a little bit and uh but I mean, a result like that is not a good look, especially like we talked about with how talented this team was, is. Um, so I, the rest of the year is immensely important for the future of this program. A lot of people are writing the season off already. I'm not quite there yet. I'm at a split. I think it's going to go one of two ways. I think we're looking at I, like 20% of my brain says we could be looking at 10 and two if we have like a Penn State 2016 type turnaround. But the other, uh, the other 80% is thinking I'm looking at eight and four, seven and five. Uh, and, and let me let me space out my logic because I don't want to come off as hot takey by predicting a super low super low-end record for what for Harbaugh's tenure after a big loss I think you look at the rest of the schedule they have one loss already I think if they play the way that they played or even close on Saturday um, you can write down Notre Dame and Ohio State as guaranteed losses if they don't turn this thing around and then I think you have three toss-ups of Iowa at home Michigan State at home and Penn State on the road, that they'll either go one and two or two and one in, and that's how you get to seven and five or eight and four. Is that is do I seem hot takey here, or does that seem logical? No, that that seems logical, and I think you know I for me I am scarred by way too much of uh, Michigan being good in my early age that I'm still not adjusted to that they could actually struggle. So. I don't see a seven and five. I, I'm not impressed with like Penn State, for example, and and I think uh, Iowa may be ugly, but I think you guys at home should be favored. But I guess that does put me in the. I guess it could be eight and four, but at your ceiling is nine and three. Um, and I think to me the bigger storyline is going to be how 
the season progresses. Um, because I think if I was a Michigan fan, the scariest thing, because I would be like you, I, I don't think chasing Harbaugh off or getting rid of him is beneficial in any way. Um, number one being, I always say when you're going to fire a coach, who are you going to get? Who's going to come in if this guy didn't work out and, that's and got, thing, right? ran off? And that's you know, like I, there's no way you're going to upgrade so, in your next hire. Yeah. People are clamoring for, oh, go offer Lincoln Riley or Bob Stoops infinity money and let them come. I'm sorry, guys. They're not taking this job. <laughs> They're not taking the job. And also, what evidence has Ward Manuel shown you that you think that would even remotely cross his mind? The two major hires he has made, I think Mel Pearson was a good idea and has worked out. Um I think Juwan hired Juwan Howard might be a good idea. Do you know what themes they both have that worry me a little bit? Somebody coming home. Mel Pearson was an assistant yeah. under Red for years. He came home to coach Michigan. Juwan Howard, part of the Fab Five, he came home. That is not the way that you need to attack every coaching search, and it's a small sample size, but I don't know what people have in their head about Ward Manuel being this guy who's willing to walk up to the best football coaches in the world and just give them a boatload of money and say, here you go, win me a national championship. And, and even at the point of Michigan being able to afford that money, it's, it's, if I'm Bob Stewart, am I coming out of retirement for the job where they just ran off who they said for 10 years or plus was their savior? No, I don't need that headache. And if I'm Lincoln Riley, am I choosing this over NFL money where I don't have to recruit or, you know, staying at Oklahoma where I've got a machine running? No, there's no chance in hell. Um, you know, Michigan is a top job. It really is. But do you want to follow Jim Harbaugh getting ran off? That is a totally different part of the equation. Um, yeah. So with the way that it progresses, what I think I'm going to be interested in, in seeing, and, you know, we use them a lot because they provide great content, but listening to the MGO podcast with Ace and Brian, it was nice and refreshing to hear them mention it because I think a lot of rival fans would give Harbaugh flack for being clearly hard to work with and running coaches off. But I think most Michigan fans could justify where some of the assistants left and why they left. Mm-hmm. Um, if this goes south, is he replacing an OC again? Like it just it starts to get to the ridiculous point of like. So for me, where I'm would be at is, I think he bought a lot of points by finally giving up the play calling duties. I know that was kind of a thing last year between him and Pep, and it, was, it seemed to be so a concern of the fans. So he gives it up. He goes and gets a guy from Alabama who's going to run a spread or run a quicker paced offense and it still doesn't work. So at what point do you quit pointing the fingers at others and it becomes a gym problem? Uh, You know, and I was joking with my friends on Sunday, like, did you hire the Ron Harbaugh? Because one is using (laughs) Lamar Jackson fun ways and is loosening up, uh, provides great press conferences, and then the other one can't keep assistance, is great from a history perspective, and the fans were excited about him but he doesn't seem to be the same gym where he's a, you know, he's putting out videos of rappers or doing fun things to like balance out the crazy. 
it's just that he's wearing some transition glasses that look terrible and he's just kind of struggling. Yeah, and I would argue a lot of the crazy is left. I mean, you watch the sideline film from how he was acting in 2015 and 2016. It's night and day with not what it is now. Um, yeah. But, but, yeah, you're right. I think you're spot on. Um, as you you talked about, if uh, if it goes – if the whole season goes south with Gaddis, do you replace him as OC? And uh, this might not be a good answer for a lot of Michigan fans, but I say keep him. You hired on a young guy who's never called plays before. This was always going to be a chance that he wasn't going to be some prodigy that could instantly come in. Uh, you have to give him another year in my mind. You have to try and help him grow. And I know that um, we're all – Michigan fans are all in a place where – it's been 15 years since we've won a Big Ten championship, and we want it now. I'm not sure replacing the OC over and over and over again is good in the long term, you know? I, I really think it would be beneficial to give Gaddis another shot. Uh, but obviously, we have nine games to go. We're getting a little bit of a, ahead of ourselves. But yeah. Uh, yeah. But obviously, you're right. It is the question to ask after three weeks. Michigan has put up point totals of 40, 20, 24 in overtime, 14 in regulation, and then 14 again. Uh, it'll be very important to see how they play against Rutgers. Um, we talked about a couple, uh, like our second episode, about Michigan State opening up the offense against Western and hopefully building confidence. And despite the one-touchdown effort against Arizona State, I would say that confidence was given, and it's worked. I'm really hoping we could have a similar effect against Rutgers, maybe. Uh, but uh, that's about the, the only thing to look for in that game. Um, yeah, well, I know I saw the quote that uh, uh, Harbaugh said that the only thing that cures more things than Penasona's victory. And I would say that that's a very good quote. And the only thing that cures that even more is playing Rutgers. So <laughs> I do think you're going to find that confidence. I think, I think the offense is going to look good. Uh, will it make it any better if they struggle in the future? Probably not. It'll be just as frustrating. Uh, but I certainly think you guys will put up the numbers uh, against Rutgers. And hopefully, you know, if anything else, it's the confidence in, for Josh Gaddis himself. Like he called a good game yeah. and he got got his team in a good position. I think that that would be good to see from a Michigan perspective. Just hey, you know, even if players made mistakes, Gaddis made a good call on this play, or we had a good game plan. Like I think even that alone can really prepare a lot of people. Not that they will probably, because they'll probably just say it is Rutgers. But you know, yeah, at this point, it feels. I know this may not be for you, but maybe looking around, does it feel like it's just a one-game season now where, like, everything's going to come down to Ohio State? You either write off the season and it's completely frustrating because you got blown out by Wisconsin and lost to Ohio State again. Let's say you, you're at 10-1 and one when the Ohio State game happens. Um, <laughs> you know, it, does it feel like that again? Because, you know, looking at the sideline, you were mentioning Harbaugh's not as animated as he used to be. You know, I'm not a psychology person. I'm not going to, like, hot take it. But he just looks wore out a little bit compared to – and he's not that old of a coach, and he's not as young as I'm probably making him sound either. Um, he's definitely had a long career. But 
he doesn't seem to have, I guess that was part of what I meant when I said like the Mimi thing, like he's not promoting as much and he's not out there as much. And yeah. I'm just wondering if the politics of being at your school, your alma mater is just weighing on him as I mean, it would me. I think that I can see why that would weigh on a person. He just looks wore out. And it's, it's sad that it's sad to think that maybe he's wore out before reaching the ultimate goals of, of where a Michigan fan would want you guys to be. Yeah, no. And I, I definitely see what you mean. Um, and obviously we just, we have all these images of the, the negative of the last couple of weeks stuck in our mind. So it's going to feel like that. Um, and so if you're listening to this with kids around or anything, just turn it down for 15 seconds. But I really saw the, the war out, the war out thing when you could just see him say, fuck me over on the sideline. Um, yeah. After, after the Ben Mason fumble or was it? No, I don't know. Where no, was. there was later when uh, it was a, I think uh, it was the one where you guys pinned them down at the one yard line on a punt, but there yeah. was offsetting penalties yeah. that made you have to re-kick it. And then they got it to 16. Yeah. And yeah, that's a frustrating, you know, you, you're looking for a positive and you just pinned them at the one. You can maybe yep. flip the field position, get something going. They even take a flag on the play. So, yeah. you know, it's looking all good. And then you have an illegal shift and it's just, uh, nothing's nope. going right. Yeah. No, nothing's going it. right. And I, I really think that moment, which by the way, what a great gift to come out of that, regardless of your family. <laughs> he always provides those. But um, plenty to work with. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I, and that was the epitome of, of the day, that, that single moment. Um, but yeah, uh, we've talked enough about Michigan. This has been I agree a horrible, horrible experience. Uh, and uh, I, I'm really hoping, and this is what I'll end on because we're probably not going to do an actual preview of the Rutgers game. Um, it, I could care less what the fan base thinks after this Saturday. I just hope that they can go out, put some points on the board, and get those kids' confidence get Josh Gaddis confidence and hopefully just get those guys feeling a little bit better. Um, if, if we're sitting in a situation like two years ago in 2017, where there's a rough start and the big house crowd is booing at some points, then I think it's going to be a long fall of me wishing it was basketball season already. So, Well, hey, Westgate, has you guys at 27 and a half point favorites. I would tell you to feel comfortable in that. I think I feel Michigan comfortable saying Michigan will cover games. that. Michigan hasn't uh, covered in seven games. I feel like they're going to work out frustrations. I, I just, if you don't cover, I'll be more concerned. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's, yeah. That, it feels like that's a cover for me. I, you know, I think I totally get where the Michigan fan base is at um, with expectations and, getting that blowout, but I think you guys are in a better place than you may yeah. even know. Um, I just think Don Brown gets a good defense going. You can cover that because I think you could win 28 nothing. So yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's going to yeah. take much uh, to, to pull that off. I think, I think they work out some frustrations uh, uh, on Rutgers this week, and, you know, we'll move on from it quickly because it's Rutgers. But I think that uh, – I think that you guys will have a good performance this week. I expect a pretty good bounce back. 
Yeah, and, and if I'm being honest, I really – I'm about in the same headspace as you. It's going to be very, very concerning if there's no blowout. But um, I think they're going to come out pissed off in front of that home crowd and uh, probably dunk on them. I'm assuming Don Brown's going to go out and have his guys ready to go try it. The goal is going to be pitch a shutout. And uh, like I said, hopefully Gaddis gets it going. Um, I just cannot – get that stat out of my mind that they haven't covered the spread in seven games. And, you know, you look back at it and the, the Wisconsin game, obviously they didn't cover the army game was a 22 point spread and it went to overtime. Middle Tennessee state was super weird. And then you go back to how last year ended. So it may like the numbers are there and it makes sense. But uh, my, my word Uh, to transition though, we always, we talk about, uh, before the Arizona State game, I, I asked you for a point total of how what you would feel good, and you gave me a yardage total. Well, for me to feel yeah. good, I'm giving you neither. My key number, zero turnovers. If they can get zero turnovers, oh. I will feel very good about what happened on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And because it's been – did they have a turnover in the first possession of the Army game? Um. Yes. I know they, yes, yeah. they were driving on their first well possession on every game. They were driving very well on that first possession, and then they got into yeah. territory. And uh, Shea Patterson fumbled. So yeah, they have a fumble on the first drive of every game so far this season. Jeez. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree. I think that's a good. That's a good. Uh, good way to cap it off is. No turnovers, and you'll be able to enjoy yourself at the at the festival this weekend, and yeah. and not uh not take out some extra anger on people in the mosh pit. Yeah. Uh, we'll keep you sane, uh, keep you uh keep you treating others nicely. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, just as a tangent, and we'll move on to the Michigan State Northwestern game. But I don't know if anybody listening to this has any heavy taste in music, but uh. I the the first set list I'm seeing after the Michigan game ends is knocked loose. Um, so <laughs> that uh, they're known for their crazy mosh pits, so that would be a good one to take frustration out. Um, uh, my word, I hope not, because I made <laughs> that I'd never go into one of those after seeing plenty of YouTube videos encouraging me not to. Lots of, <laughs> lots of, lots of spin kicks and elbows flying in those those mosh pits, Jerry. Oh uh, yeah, you got the da- you got the dance kids now that uh, they kind of uh, ruined everything. So, yeah. you know, you don't get the good circle circle pits like Cape Breed used to do back in my day. So uh, <laughs> it's a little bit different now. I uh, I will admit, yeah, I've I've had my time in there. Maybe if I'm at like a uh, you know a rise against show with some skinny vegans, I can uh, hold my own, but. Uh, the last time I got a black eye at a Dropkick Murphys concert and some, you know, 250 pound Irish guy was probably my, uh, my last time in there. Oh, man. So Dropkick move, Dropkick Murphys are there too. I'm actually missing them for not <laughs> funny enough. I would say, yeah, definitely avoid that pit. That's going to be, uh, some, uh, some Irish guys getting some moonshine. You don't need to oh, be yeah. there. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be a fun weekend, but, uh, I guess we should move on to, you know, I I talked about that I took Michigan State to cover, but I did not expect a 21-point victory on the road at Northwestern. Oh, boy, was that impressive. I'll, I'll, uh, I will say I didn't watch a second of it because I was too busy watching Michigan get their face kicked in. But 
Uh, what were the positives? Because I don't see any negatives in the box score, Jeremy. Uh, I think I think the positives, honestly, was the second half. Um, well, really, even the last drive of the first half, uh, where you know it's seven three Northwestern's not really driving in a dangerous way, but you're thinking ah, it's going to end seven three and go into the half that way. It's not that exciting. They're going to get the ball first in the second half, kind of a bad taste in your mouth. And then uh, Josiah Scott makes a great interception. Um, and Lewerke continues to look pretty comfortable in a two-minute offense uh, and drives them down 62 yards with a Cody White touchdown. And I, I, the, the announcers even said on the game, and they're totally right. I mean, in that game, 14-3 to might as well have been a 30-point lead. Uh, you just felt extremely comfortable that Northwestern wasn't going to outscore you by more than 11 in the second half. Um, so it kind of felt like a game ender. And then they just rode that into the second half. They ended up scoring on uh, four out of their final five drives. And the only one that they didn't score on was another Matt Coghlan miss in a really windy Chicago, you know, kicking type of day. Uh, I've had enough kickers in Chicago for my lifetime. I don't need to see my college team have to kick there. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was – I think that's the positive. Uh, there was some ugly there after the first drive where you um, just kind of had the same old MSU offensive problems of you pick up a first down and then you lose yardage because of a holding or uh, you kill a drive with a negative nine yards on a jet sweep, you know, things like that, that uh, kept the game at seven, three for a little while there. Um, but overall, I mean, yeah, it was again, kind of like, the Tulsa game, but with some offense in that you just never felt like you were going to lose that game. Um, really, after we made the goal line stand, I just kind of, you know, I left the house and then was just following on my phone. It was just like, even then, I just never felt nervous. Uh, I just knew we were going to be able to outscore them. And it was just how frustrated people were after the game. And they weren't. So that was actually the night, the positive was Twitter was, uh, was a decent place to be Saturday. Yeah. Uh, oh, I bet it was glorious for you. My word. I tell you oh, what. Oh, sure. Yeah. I, <laughs> I didn't want to get on. <laughs> it was, which means it was the inverse for you. So that's yeah. great. I know yeah. you, you follow a healthy amount of Michigan Twitter. Um, and I, I try to do the sandwich state Twitter. So uh, those. Yeah. Those Michigan getting blown out and Michigan State winning can be have very different effects for us. Um, so I'm, yeah. I'm I'm going through some Northwestern stat lines, and obviously the caveat with all st- offensive stat lines against Michigan State is that they were playing one of the best defenses in the country. Uh, however, Hunter Johnson went 15 through 26 for 88 yards in a pick. Uh, which that pick by Josiah Scott, I did see. It was fantastic. So I'm not even going to blame the quarterback for that one. But um, Well, the decision was a terrible decision. But, yeah. It was the, a the terrible decision. Was, what a pick. Um, yeah. So I'm, was, was he as bad as that looks? Because now I'm looking at his season stats through three games. Um, 308 yards, one touchdown to four interceptions, and his QBR – is 25.6. For those who don't aren't familiar with QBR, uh, it's out of 100. So 25.6 is good for 121st in the nation. 
Well, I mean, uh, we deemed, what was it earlier, like 15 completions for 160. I call it a Trubisky. That means he double Trubisky'd. That's yes. not good. That's not good. Um, I will say in his defense, though, I think uh, I, I can't remember him ever having a pocket, let alone a clean pocket. Yeah, um, that was the thing. Pretty bad offensive line. And he's got some good scrambling ability when he uh, when he needs to, but, yeah, I just – you know, and, and even when he was getting completions, he was getting them where a defensive back was all over his wide receiver with no separation, and he was having to put it into some pretty tight windows. So I don't think he's terrible. I think he's definitely a long-term project for them. Um, you know, like they mentioned 500 times on the broadcast, he was a five-star recruit that started at Clemson and then uh, transferred when Trevor Lawrence showed up, I'm assuming due to the beautiful flow not because of his football talent. Uh, and, yeah, I think you know, I think he's a nice uh, – could be a nice long-term project for them. And he seems to have that uh, that knack to scramble kind of like Northwestern Mike's, like a Kafka or just those annoying quarterbacks they've had where you get three guys to rush him in two seconds and all of a sudden he's somehow getting a seven-yard run out of it. Um, so I think he could be frustrating, but, no, it was – he was bad. It was okay. a bad day for him. I, uh, they nothing they did looked good on offense. It, nothing. Yeah, I prompted that question. Now I'm looking at Northwestern's schedule, and I promise this is the last yeah. Northwestern bit before we get back to MSU. Oh, I don't no, think talk they're going to have a chance to win a game until November. Well, well, let's just talk about who they have to play this weekend alone. They have to uh, play Wisconsin. Yeah, that could get ugly. Twenty-four <laughs> and a half very... point spread, and I don't even think I'm gonna. I think that's gonna be one of my easy ones of the Saturday. I'm gonna. Okay. Have to take I think. To I think you're crazy if you take Northwestern. <laughs> I think you're no. crazy to think Northwestern is gonna stay within twenty-four. Their most winnable game before November comes next week, and it's a road game against Nebraska, who hasn't looked good exactly. But I don't think Northwestern's going to beat them on the road, and then they play Ohio State and Iowa. I and, oh. and then it's November, and I I think that they're gonna win like four games all year. Wow, this is hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's rough. From the from the Big Ten West champions to uh, yeah, I don't see them making a bowl. So yeah, I don't think so, yeah, I mean, make a bowl. that's crazy. Yeah, no, no. So yeah, it was. I think for MSU, it was a pretty much a a positive game all the way around. Um, there was some concern about the offensive line. Uh, we did play in junk time, three freshmen on the offensive line, which uh, doesn't give you a lot, I think, in terms of this game. But when you think about the red shirt rule and that they can only play in four games and you decided to play them in a game that you were pretty handily winning, I think that says more, that it says that they very well might think that these kids are going to get more than four games. Um, part of that due to injury, you know, we're pretty thin, uh, but I think also part of it just being like Matt Carrick at right guard had a really rough day. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised to see him go down for, you know, whether it's Nick Samack or JD Duplain or Devontae Dobbs coming in. Uh, because yeah, I think, I think they're really starting to think longer about at least, uh, one to two of those freshmen burning the red shirt year, which is an ideal, uh, but at least it is the number one like offensive line class. I think I can remember D'Antonio ever bringing in. So, you know, maybe they would have been kids that would have left after a redshirt junior year to begin with. So, 
Um, if you can get more out of them and they can help make this season a better season, uh, you know, that may not be great for the long term, but it will be nice for this season. So, uh, yeah, that was the one concern I think coming out of it. I'm still nervous about that offensive line because, you know, you have the skill position players. It's just about getting that line to function. And then I think we can really be, you know, maybe like a 2000, uh, maybe like a 2012, 2013 offense where they're not lighting it on fire, but they're doing enough to support a top five defense, you know, and get them very far. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it very well could be. Um, the offensive line, I think, is, unless they get even more decimated through injury, they're still obviously going to have big problems handling that Ohio State defensive line, the Wisconsin defensive oh, yeah. line. Uh, but really, there's not another team on the schedule that I would be super scared of more so than what you've been facing all year. Um, I do have a question regarding the red shirt thing, though. Uh, have those was that the first appearance for those guys? Yeah. So the, okay. for all three of them, they've been on the depth chart, uh, but did not get in for plays. Maybe Nick Samat did. I can't remember if uh, if he got in uh, previously or not. Uh, one of the earlier games. Um, but I know for Dobbs and Duplain, uh, that was their first time seeing action. So, I mean, they've got three left. Um, well, I'm looking you know, at the schedule, and I think they only have three left where we could be seeing some time where you'd want them in. Um, as blowout, yeah. Yeah, I think if you burn the red shirt, I think it's from a fact of, you know, it's just going terrible against Ohio State, and then you have to – but really, I think the plan is you have to go into that game saying, like, are we willing to burn this red shirt or not? Um, don't make a decision on the sidelines. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see um, counting the bowl game where they want to be at with, uh, with all three of those. Yeah, because um, you, yeah, you have Indiana, Illinois, and Rutgers on the schedule. The rest of them, I couldn't see a situation where they get in. But that is an important thing to factor in that I wasn't thinking of is that bowl game because uh, – you know, yeah. depending on depending on yep. the prominence of the bowl game, that could end up being a situation where you could get them some good minutes. Yeah, and they've made decisions in the past. I mean, Josiah Scott last year um, had four games going into the bowl game. They certainly should have, you know, pulled back and um, you know really tried to say, hey, you know, let's not play you this game. Let's keep that uh, keep that red shirt on the table, but. Even they said, you know, if we use the red shirt, he's probably a candidate to leave early. Uh, we'd rather have him in the game. So, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that is a decision for us to watch long term. But, um, you know, hopefully been, on the best side of things for MSU, they get some of the linemen back so that those freshmen kind of move down the depth chart and you're not having to uh, have them be the next guy up on anyone. Yeah. All right. Well, that was thorough. Um, we cannot. Uh, I'm always about the thick boys on the line. Oh, absolutely. I'm ready to talk about them at all times. <laughs> it, it's it's the most important part of a football team. I think we've seen over the last decade or so. Um, so let's get into Michigan State, Indiana this weekend. Um, ESPN has it as a 85.6 percent chance of an MSU victory. The spread is 14 points even. MSU is a favorite. Um, I think a big part of what we'll be looking for on the Indiana perspective 
is quarterback health. Uh, Peyton Ramsey, who uh, most Michigan and Michigan State fans should be pretty familiar with over the last year or so, um, has played the last two games because of an injury to their starting quarterback, Michael Penix, uh, who uh, from all signs looked pretty good actually when he was playing in the opening games. So uh, getting Penix back would be pretty big for Indiana. But either way, I'm not sure how they score 20 points against this Michigan State defense. No, yeah, it doesn't feel like one that I – usually Indiana, uh, you know, under previous coaching regimes, they had that wide-open offense. Always scared me a little bit that I knew – I always felt pretty confident MSU was going to win, but I was going to be really pissed off the entire time about it. Um, Oh, yeah. I don't really feel that way this week. I, I really don't. Uh, you know, I think that uh, I think that they should feel pretty confident coming off the Northwestern game. Um, the only concern is looking ahead to Ohio State, but I think that you know the last home game being the Arizona State game. I don't think they have any reason to to look ahead. I think they should stay in a pretty good focus and and uh, really take care of business. I don't know about covering the spread. I know I saw SP Plus has MSU by about a eight or nine point margin. Um, which sounds about right to me, you know, seven to 10 point game. Uh, it, it seems appropriate uh, for what they're going to do. And I agree with you that I can't see any way that Indiana puts up 20 points. Uh, that that would be very shocking. Yep. I mean, Michigan State, we're looking at a team that's put up, uh, I believe, at least 350 yards of offense in three of the four games. Or did they against Tulsa as well? Uh, I don't look. know if they got to 350. That sounds a little high. Um, that, I am yeah. stalling and stalling. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but while you, while you stall, I will say, too, uh, at least against the, starting de- against the starting defense, teams have scored, let's see here, 310. I think Western was 10. And then seven. So, yeah, I mean, you're talking for them. They've given up 30 points total. I don't think Indiana's getting 20 against the first team defense uh, for a whole game. That's uh, no. So, yeah, you know, so as an offense, you score three touchdowns, you should win the game. Um, And that up until Ohio State and Wisconsin, that's, you know, which are the two weeks following. uh, I think that's basically what the offense needs to do. You don't need to be perfect. You need 21 points, and I think the defense will win you every game if you're doing that. Yeah, I, I would agree. So they got 303 yards against Tulsa. Um, yeah. So, so, but still, that's three out of four games they've played that they've gotten at least the 350, I think 400 maybe. Um, so what's, what is your key stat walking out of the Indiana game that you'll be happy happy with? Ah, man, key stat coming out of the Indiana game. Well, knowing that we are then faced with Ohio State, Nick Young, and that offense the following week, um, you know, for me, I would like to see Elijah Collins get at least 20 rushes uh, and then put up about 130 to 140 yards. Uh, The more important part for me, like I said, is the number of rushes he's getting. Because I really want to see the coaches uh, rewarding who has clearly separated himself as the best running back. Um, 
you know, I love Hayward. I think you can have Hayward still has a big purpose on this team, especially catching passes, whether that be out of the backfield or as an H back or as, uh, you know, in the slot. Um, but every down that right now, it feels like right now, every down that you're running Hayward or you're running Ladarius Jefferson is wasting one of the three downs that you had to get a first down. Um, you're not counting going foot on fourth. So for me, I just want to see them play to the percentages and, and run Elijah Collins at least 20 times. Yeah. And that, that seems like a good one to me. Um, I know that that's probably the, hottest debate on MSU Twitter, how envious I am of that is uh, Elijah Collins being the feature pack and how much runtime he's getting. Um, but yeah, I would agree. So next I would like so, to finish the pod on a little game. I think would be fun that we play every week during football season. Um, all right. Sorry for springing this on you, but I kind of no, on myself cause I thought of it five minutes ago. So all right. I will give the spread in every Big Ten game this weekend, and we will each make our prediction for who covers. Okay. All right, so Friday night, we got some Friday night lights. Uh, Penn State at Maryland. Penn State is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. I'll go first. We'll take turns, but I'll go first on this one. Um, I'm actually going to take the Terps to cover. I haven't been super impressed with Penn State, and they're going on the road. Despite it not being a hostile environment, uh, I think that after a bye week, Maryland might rebound. Not win, All right. cover. So, so, I looked at this game earlier, and I hope you're keeping track, too, so we can see what our numbers are. Uh, I will say I, would, I, want, I wanted to take Penn State earlier in the day, and I actually saw it at uh, 7.5 or 8.5 at one of the places I was looking. So, 6.5, I'm taking Penn State. Um, I, you know, ever since Maryland tried to make this a fake rivalry, they've just gotten the brakes beat off of them. So I'll, I'll say that James Franklin puts together his better game plans and, uh, and covers the six and a half. Okay. Okay. So we, we already have our first differing opinion. Some competition. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll let you take, actually, I'm just going to count it. You can talk about it if you want, but you said you would take Michigan to cover a 27 and a half point spread against Rutgers. Yeah, I I don't see – I just see them working out the frustrations. Just just a feel that they just take it out on them this week. Yeah, uh, me too, actually. I'm also going to take them to cover the spread, uh, hopefully. My God, please. Um, the next one is going to be Wisconsin-Northwestern. Wisconsin is a 24-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, I will go first again, and I already alluded to it earlier, but I am taking Wisconsin. I think they are going to win by 40. Yeah, I was say I. I was actually gonna say that. I was like, I will take Wisconsin if you're giving me 35. Uh, I'm yep. still taking Wisconsin. I. Yeah, Jonathan Taylor could have 300 yards in the first half. This is gonna be ugly. Give me the Badgers. <laughs> All right. Now, in what is sure to be a fascinating noon ESPN two game, Iowa hosts Middle Tennessee State. Uh, Iowa is a 23 point favorite. What what say you, Jeremy? Uh, so I want to take Middle Tennessee State. I did see that they apparently are preparing for Nate Stanley to run. So I don't know how good of a video breakdown they're doing. Um, Nate Stanley is not going to run, but uh, I you know I kind of like the quarterback 
uh, from Middle Tennessee, Asher, I think was his name. Uh, where uh, I liked him against Michigan. Uh, I think they stay within 23. Uh, they cover against Ottawa. All right. Um, just because I'm rooting for them to cover because it would make Michigan look better, I'm going to just go with Murphy's Law and assume Iowa covers the 23 and a half. Or no, 23 even. <laughs> uh, so I got Iowa in that one. Um, time for your team here. Uh, we have Indiana at Michigan State with MSU as a 14-point favorite. It is my turn to go first. I am going to take the Hoosiers to cover in the most annoying fashion possible that benefits neither of us. They will lose the game but make it close and annoying as per usual. Yeah, it feels like one of those backdoor cover games. Like I said, they get a, a junk touchdown against the second string or – something weird happens where it goes from a 16 point game to a nine or just something weird. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think 14 is a little heavy. Uh, I would say in the end it stays close enough. Yeah. So you, you took Indiana too then? Yep. Okay. Sorry. I was looking ahead to the next game and uh, we're going to have a barn burner here. It's going to be, Minnesota at Purdue in the 3.30 ESPN2 time slot. Minnesota on the road, a point-and-a-half favorite. Uh, uh, you, you go first. Yeah, they, I don't think I like either of these teams, but, um, <laughs> uh, man, is Cinderella still out? Is he, like, done for the year? or? Oh, man, I don't know. I didn't think so. You but... know what? I'm gonna go blind guy here. I'm definitely not putting real money on this one. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's gonna. I'll take. I'll take Purdue at home. I Minnesota has squeaked out every win that they've gotten this year. They, you know, have won their games that they should have won, uh, but they did not look good doing any of them. Um, give me Jeff Brom and and just taking care of business. Yeah, I agree. I'm also gonna take Purdue. Um, Minnesota is the stupidest three and oh i've ever seen uh, oh my I, god yeah <laughs> i don't think they're gonna be able to go into ross aid stadium and win uh so i'm gonna i'm gonna take the boilermakers plus one and a half uh I, even if minnesota wins i think there's a very good chance it's only by one so i feel pretty comfortable with that one actually Which yeah i think they've trailed I feel like they've trailed in the fourth quarter in every game they've played, and they have not played a super hard schedule. So, no, they, yeah, not a ton of confidence in them. Yeah, uh, just to dunk on Minnesota for no reason, uh, they have trailed in the fourth quarter of every game, and they opened up against South Dakota State, who is an FCS team, Fresno State, who they beat in double overtime, and then Georgia Southern. So... Yeah, haven't played a Power 5 team and also have trailed in the fourth quarter of every game. Not great. And I will admit to saying that I I did uh, have a vested interest in Georgia Southern to win straight up. Uh, that was the confidence I had in them. So, yeah, I think Purdue's better than Georgia Southern, so I'll, I'll keep riding with teams to beat Minnesota. Yep. And then to uh, finish off the Big Ten slate in Week 5, Ohio State travels to play what I think think might be their first road game um no they yeah. went to indiana yeah. but they traveled oh, to well nebraska. that doesn't count they've traveled to nebraska to play in a night game and they're a 17 point favorite um 
I am up first, and until I started reading this, I was planning on taking Ohio State to cover because they've looked like a flamethrower so far this year. But weird stuff happens at Nebraska at night, man. Uh, it could be weird as in 70-0 to zero for Ohio State, or it could be weird as in maybe they actually cover the 17. I'm going to go with my gut. I'm going to take Ohio State. So I will – I will take the Cornhuskers. This feels like uh, with how their season has gone, uh, I think it's easy for Scott Frost to basically make this their season. Um, you know, they could struggle the rest of the way, but if they were able to somehow beat this Ohio State team, uh, that would be huge for them. Uh, Justin Fields has not been tested in an environment sense uh, to this point, at least at Ohio State. Um, so, I don't think Nebraska wins, mind you, at all. Uh, but I think 17 is a little bit much in Nebraska. So uh, I'll take them to stay within 17 of uh, the Buckeyes. All right. So for those keeping track at home, Jeremy and I differed on one, two, three picks. So the deciding games will be Maryland-Penn State, in which I have Maryland covering as a six-and-a-half-point home underdog. Iowa Middle Tennessee State, in which I think Iowa covers 23 points. Jeremy doesn't. And then that Ohio State-Nebraska game. I hope, just for the sake of fun, that it comes all down to that night game. Yes. Yeah, that would give us the most uh, the most content on Twitter while you are at a festival. Uh, and I am probably at home. Uh, I'll be in the middle wife. of watching Guns N' Roses play a three-hour set. Oh, man. There you go. Make sure you take your hat off for the national anthem, which is welcome to the jungle. Uh, respect <laughs> the troops. Make sure you observe that. Um, but so we've spent a lot of this show really kind of enjoying some of your pain from last weekend. So I want to end it on giving you a positive note. Next weekend we have college hockey. Yes. So it is yes. here. Uh, I don't care that they're exhibitions, but Michigan opens next Sunday against Windsor. Uh, State plays Western. I I have a buddy that coaches basketball in Canada uh, in a CIS school. He corrected me. It is no longer Western Ontario. They go by Western. So (laughs) MSU plays Western, and that is not Western Michigan. They play Western Ontario on Monday, uh, October 7th. So, uh, yeah, so next time we talk, we can preview in earnest – what OHL players or college hockey teams are playing uh, yeah. uh, to open their season. So it is almost here. Like we're almost to that perfect part with all three going on between uh, basketball, football, and uh, most importantly, college hockey. Yes, so. that is great. So that is something to look forward to next week, folks. We'll have your recaps from whatever happens this weekend in uh, the two games that I presume to be blowouts. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, we will. And, most likely, it looks like, I think, have somewhat of a season preview for both hockey teams. And, uh, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. I'll let you know if Axel Rose actually makes it through a three-hour <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, if I see him trending on Twitter uh, Saturday night, I'm going to probably panic text you. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I, every time, you know, that's the whole thing is anytime you see someone trending, you got to assume the worst. So, uh, so yeah, if I see him trending, be prepared. I'm going to make sure that, uh, he's doing okay and, and isn't dead. Yeah. 
And with that, uh, if, if only I knew how to do an outro, I would leave you with some guns and roses. But thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week.